So, so far we've learned that the Bible is not a work of fiction. And we've discovered that though there are human authors, many human authors, the Bible is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've rejoiced in having the Bible available to us in 21st century English. And that's something that we need to not to take for granted because as we've already heard, there are places in the world today where the Bible is still not available in the local language. But now we've come to the practical bit. And what are we gonna do to unearth the hidden treasure that is found in God's word? Those are my four words to leave with you tonight. I've been chewing them over all week, so they're going round and round in my head, so I'll give you a minute or two to get hold of them. Read, think, study, enjoy. That's what I'm suggesting is the, the way, the practically, that we're going to learn to deal with and appreciate and enjoy this treasure that's been put into our hands. Read, think, study, enjoy. Read because there's a need to stay in touch. We need to stay in touch with God. I need to stay in touch with God. And the only way I can do that is by reading his word. We think because there's a need for a, an emotional connection with the person who's writing this. This is more than just looking at the words on the page. This is thinking what's behind it. And then study because there's a need to investigate. We've already learned a few things today that require us to think beyond our own culture, beyond our own time, to understand fully what the Bible is saying. And of course, enjoy because there's a need to appreciate what we find in the Bible. It would be bad, wouldn't it? It would be awful if we were reading, thinking, and studying, and it was boring. So we don't want it to be like that. We want it to be something that we enjoy as we read through it together and individually. So there's the words again. Read, think, study, enjoy. So we'll deal with, deal with read first. What's the first thing you do in the morning when you get up? Many of us these days will check our phones. If someone left us me a message last night. Sometimes they have. Someone who's gone to bed early, and they're up early, and there's the message, a reply to maybe something I texted them the day before. I go down and make myself a cup of coffee after I've checked my phone. And then I go in, take my coffee, and I do my reading. And reading God's word is the very bottom line for life as a Christian. Someone has said that um, reading the Bible is to our spiritual lives what eating our meals is to our physical lives. And you can turn it the other way around, can't you? Because not reading our Bibles is to our spiritual lives what not eating would be to our physical lives. You know what state you'd be in if you stopped eating. That's a similar thing. That's the state you'd be in spiritually if you stopped reading the Word of God. It'd be the equivalent of not bothering to open that message on your phone or not bothering to answer that email. We wouldn't do it, would we? And we should read God's Word, shouldn't we? Now, we're creatures of habit. You know that, I know that. So it's good to have a habit of when you read God's Word. It's probably good to read God's Word first thing in the morning, but it's definitely good to read God's Word sometime in the day. And if you make that the same time every day, 
<clears throat> you're less likely to miss it. So for me, now that I'm retired, when I get up and I've checked my phone and I've made my cup of coffee, that's when I read God's word. It may be that you have to fit it in in the morning if you've got children to sort out. It may be that you do it in, the, in your lunch hour or in the afternoon or when you come home from work in the evening or before you go to bed at night. But sometime, make that time for reading God's word. Otherwise, you'll spiritually starve to death. What is it about this book? Regimes are bandit. There was a lot of uh, times when Bibles have been smuggled into countries because the government has said, we're not having the Bible in our country. Kings have cut it into pieces. It's been ridiculed and mocked. And yet it's still there, still being read, still transforming lives. There's something special about the Bible, which is the Word of God. Recently, I attended a funeral of Eric Dodge that some of you will remember. And they were making the point that in the last few weeks, possibly months of his life, Eric read Psalm 91 over and over and over again. He loved it. It was a psalm that made him feel safe. It was a psalm about taking protection under God's wings and going to God for protection and refuge. And as his body began to deteriorate and as his strength ebbed, Eric found his delight in reading Psalm 91 and just lying in the comfort that gives the protection that God promises in that psalm. And we can all do that, can't we? We can read passages of Scripture and really enjoy what they're saying to us. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I'm ashamed to say, but I stopped reading the Bible for a while. Um, when I was young, we didn't have a Bible in our own actual language. Um, some of this has been talked about recently, but all the Bibles that were around when I was young were in a language 300, 300 or 400 years out of date to the language that I spoke day by day. I'm not allowed to say this, Ruth told me not to say this, but I was going to say um, I couldn't cope with the language. I've said it now. I couldn't cope with the, the archaic English. Listen, if you love the authorised version Bible, don't take any notice of what I'm saying. That's fine. But I couldn't cope with it, and I stopped reading it. And it was a foolish mistake. It was one of the stupidest mistakes I ever made in my life. And God came to my rescue, because not long after I decided not to read it anymore, I found myself in a bookshop, and there in front of me was a Bible in 1970s English. And I bought it and started reading again. And I'm glad to say I've never stopped reading ever since. It rescued me. And then shortly after that, somebody gave me an NIV New Testament for my 21st. The NIV hadn't been published then, but the, the New Testament had. And I loved it. And I've been an NIV fan ever since. But it was a stupid thing for me to do, to stop reading God's Word. And there's no excuse for stopping reading God's word on that basis because the, the language, the Bible is available in your language, in 21st century English language, and we should all read it. The Bible speaks to us. I'm going to tell you another story that goes back to when I was a, a student. Uh, I'm generally a good sleeper. I go to bed, put my head on the pillow and go to sleep. And if I wake up in the night, very quickly I'm back to sleep again. I don't lie awake very often. And I know that's a blessing, and I know some people aren't like that. And if you're not like that, then I'm, I feel very sorry for you. But I am generally a good sleeper. My 
college finals were coming up and it was to be the Friday of the week and I had two exams on the Friday morning, uh, on the Friday, a three-hour exam in the morning and a three-hour exam in the afternoon. And on the Thursday night, I went to bed as my usual way and I couldn't sleep. And I heard the church clock down the, down the road chime midnight and then one o'clock and then two o'clock and then three o'clock and then four o'clock. And by the time it was chiming, chiming five o'clock, I was completely worked up inside. I was panicking. I was saying to myself, this is ridiculous. I've got six hours of exams to go to and I haven't slept a wink all night. And for some reason, I put my light on and I reached out for my Bible that was beside my bed. And I don't know whether I was reading in Philippians, whether I just opened at it, but I opened it up, and there, the, the shot out of the page, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I said, thank you, Lord. I'll hold you to that. And I did manage to sleep for about an hour and a half before my alarm went off. And I went to my exams, and I did those six hours of exams, and I felt as though I'd had a good night's sleep until I got to the very end of it, and then I was absolutely exhausted. But that, to me, is a very real experience of a promise that God gave to me in a moment of distress when I was completely, what am I going to do? How am I going to cope with six hours of exams when I haven't had any sleep? And the Lord gave me that promise. And he does that in his word. There's lots of times since then when I've had little promises and he, those promises are from God and he never, ever lets us down. And of course, one of the really great things that we learn out in the Bible and only in the Bible is the way of salvation, isn't it? The Bible is where we le le read about the Lord Jesus and why he died. The Bible is where we're told that believing that Jesus died for us and believing that we're sinners and that he is the only way to salvation is how we get saved. So read it and believe. Read it and enjoy. Read it and act. And that's the pot of treasure that you may find in reading the Bible. The Bible which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now Psalm 19 is a psalm about the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And you'll see there there's all sorts of different words that are used that basically all mean the same thing. In our terms, the Bible, the law of God, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. So you can read that like this. The Bible is perfect, refreshing the soul. The Bible is trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible is right, giving joy to the heart. The Bible is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The Bible is pure, enduring forever. The Bible is firm and all of it is righteous. The Bible is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. It is sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By the Bible your servant is warned, in keeping it there is great reward. 
So let's make sure we read God's Word every day of our lives and learn from it. The next thing is to, is to think. It's one thing to read, it's another thing to think. And this is making an emotional connection with the person who wrote it. Chew it over in your mind. Remind yourself of what it says. Now I'm getting to the age when I can't remember things I've done. And I read my Bible with my cup of coffee after I've checked my phone in the morning. And then a couple of hours later, I scratch my head and think, what did I read this morning? And sometimes I can't remember. And I have to go and look it up to remind myself of what, what I'd read. If you don't remember, I can't chew it over. But once I've remembered, I start thinking about it, then it becomes embedded, embedded into my mind. Smile at the encouraging bits. Take note if you're told to do something. Or maybe you're told not to do something. Make an, an emotional connection. <clears throat> I've got a letter from my granny. It's dated the 14th of November 1960. And it was written to me when I was seven years old. My granny died when I was eight. And I had very little connection with her. We lived in Liverpool. She lived in Belfast. We saw her once a year. So I haven't got that kind of connection that my grandchildren have had with me, with my, gran my, gran my granny over in Belfast. But one thing I do have, I've got a letter she wrote me when I was seven years old. And it's in her handwriting. And to me, it's an emotional connection with somebody who is important to me, even if I didn't know her very well. My dear David, I should have answered the letter I received from you some time ago. And then later on she says, I was pleased, David, to, to learn that you are doing well at Sabbath school. Keep it up, my dear boy. All teachers love a good scholar. She was a Northern Ireland uh, Presbyterian, hence the um, Sabbath school thing. And there's a whole lot of stuff there which is very precious to me because it's from my granny who died when I was eight and I didn't have a lot of connection. But there's a, a real tangible connection, a letter in her handwriting to me. And that's where the Bible is. It's a letter in God's handwriting, if you like, from God to you. Supposing you, you, you'd read um, John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. That was your reading. Then you start thinking, thinking about it. My sheep. That's Jesus talking, of course. Jesus refers to us as his sheep. But then I remember somewhere else he talked about giving his sheep eternal life and they will never perish. He talked of himself as the good shepherd. So that in a sense means that the good shepherd is looking after me, his sheep. And then you, my sheep listen to my voice. How do I listen to the voice of God? You start thinking about how you listen to God's voice, to Jesus' voice, by reading, maybe reading the Gospels to hear the actual voice of Jesus and reading the Bible to hear the voice of God. And Jesus' voice, that's impressive, isn't it? To hear the voice of Jesus talking to you, telling you something, promising you things, warning you about things. That's how you start to think about the Word of God. And possibly, you could put it on a post-it note. Where have we heard that already today? Or a sticker. Or you write it down. Or you share it. And what's the pot of treasure? The pot of treasure is connecting with the Almighty. Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3 talks about thinking. It uses the word meditate. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's what thinking about what you've read does, meditating on what you've read. And it makes you like a tree by streams of water. Then you might want to go a little bit further, and that's study. Now, study can cover all sorts of things. You can go from very, very deep study that some people do, who write commentaries and who know the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic that we've already heard about today. Or you can do at the other end, it can be just a little dip into the background of what you've been reading. All of that counts as study. We should, at some point, do a little study. It's good to do study. You can get a commentary. Be careful with commentaries. There are good commentaries and there are bad commentaries. But get a commentary and have a look. And they're useful because they'll give you background information. And then, of course, there's the thing about context. Every story in the Bible is in some context or other. Make sure you read it in the context. I'm not a great fan of pulling a verse out of context and applying it to yourself. The Bible isn't really a book of pick and choose here and there. Everything has a context. But sometimes it's true, God does speak to you through a verse that you're reading out of context. Maybe you look at a word you've been reading, was it found anywhere else? Maybe a story you've been reading, does that story appear somewhere else? And if so, how is it slightly differently told in another part of the Bible? And as you do this, you discover patterns and links and prophecies that have come true. It's a fascinating study to look at the prophecies that are made in the Old Testament that have already come true. Prophecies of where Jesus was to be born and about his birth and about his life, and they've already happened. And that encourages us because we think if they happened, there's a pretty good chance the ones that haven't been fulfilled are going to happen as well, and we can trust them. So there's study. Study needn't be laborious. It needn't be surrounded by books piled high. But it may just be looking to find out. And we've already mentioned some of those cultural things today. Cultural things like the fact that children were regarded as as non-persons. And that really, once you discover that, the idea of Jesus welcoming the children and putting them on his knee suddenly becomes alive. This wasn't just him doing what we all do with our our children, letting them sit sit on our knee. This was in a culture where children were were nothings, were nobodies, nobody bothered with children. And here's Jesus with these, these nobodies, and they're on his knee and his arms are around them. And that makes it come alive when you realize that. So that little bit of study will really enrich your look into God's word. And we read in Acts chapter 17, now the Berean Jews, that's the Jews who lived in the town of Berea, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Berean disciples did a bit of Bible study. This fellow's telling us this stuff. Is it really right? And they dug into it and they discovered, yeah, it is. He's telling us the truth. Read, think, study, enjoy. Enjoy. Think of a chat with an old friend. Catching up with your family. 
going out for a meal or a coffee with someone that you get on well with. Enjoy. When I was at school, I didn't like maths, but I did like history. In fact, I hated maths. I couldn't do maths. But in the end, I realized that if I did what they told me to and put the formulas in that they'd given me, the chances are they'd give me marks for it, and I'd pass my maths because I needed maths. So I did that. But history, I loved history. I would read history just for the fun of it. I would read a history book for relaxation. I wouldn't have done that with maths. I didn't like maths. And that's the idea of enjoying God's word. It's not something that we grit our teeth at and say, like I did with maths, I've got to do this because if I don't do it, I'll be disadvantaged for the rest of my life. It's more like I was with history. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. That looks a fascinating book. I'm going to read this. And we read it to enjoy. Psalm 112, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. There's a challenge, isn't it? Do you find great delight in reading God's word? Is there something you, you're itching to get at? You know, it's like when you've got a good book and you've got to stop reading because you've got things to do and people to visit and tea to make. Be itching to get back to it. Are we like that with the word of God? Are we itching to get back to it, to enjoy it, to really enjoy what it says? And what's the pot of treasure at the end of that? It's the delight and thrill of knowing that God is interested in you. Let's do a very brief little scenario here. Let's assume that you've been reading the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. I'm only doing this because last week or the week before when I was starting to prepare this, I was actually reading through the Gospel of Mark. And I had been reading quite a few chapters in early parts of Mark, and one of them was chapter 7. So you read at the end of chapter 7, the last two stories in Mark chapter 7, is the story of Jesus going up north where he meets a Greek woman from Syrian Phoenicia. And it, you get the impression that Jesus was going up north to for a bit of a relaxation, to get away from it all. And this woman hears that she's there, her daughter's ill, got a problem, and she comes running to Jesus and begs Jesus to heal her daughter. And there's a little bit of banter between Jesus and the, the woman, which at first is a bit strange. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she says, but even the, the dogs eat the uh, bread that falls, even the dogs under the table eat the bread that falls from the table. And the second story is Jesus then going to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, where he meets a profoundly deaf man, and, what, and he healed him. Now, if you read the stories, that's what you'd read. You'd read those two, and that's your reading. You, you discover in your reading that Jesus cares for people with real problems. That's obvious. That bounces off the page. And we learn, all, we could read also and appreciate that he appreciates our persistence in asking for what we need. The woman who came to Jesus wasn't put off. But Lord, but Lord, and in the end, he gave her what she wanted. We've learned, we, you would read that the Lord connects sympathetically towards people, particularly the profoundly deaf man. It's obvious from reading the story that the Lord had a profound sympathy and empathy with the man. And that medical and mental issues do not phase the Lord Jesus one little bit. Now that's what you get from your reading. But then if you start thinking about it, what was the banter about dogs and tables about? You remember somewhere that dogs were considered wild animals in the, in the days of Jesus. So what, what was this about? 
But then you think about it and you, you try to make sense of this. What, and why did Jesus seem so reluctant at first? Why didn't he just heal the woman's daughter? Why did he keep her waiting? Why did he seem reluctant? Was he reluctant? And then another one, which we've already met today. Why does Mark record the Aramaic word that Jesus spoke? Remember Carl told us that word? It was Ephratha, be opened. And you might ask yourself, how would, they feel, how would these two people feel towards Jesus? So now you're starting to think. You're starting to think about the, the story. But then maybe you want to take it a step further and you want to do a bit of study. So you look up, where did this occur? And you realize that the story of the woman is right up north, either at the very top of Israel or possibly just outside Israel, uh, towards Phoenicia. So you're dealing with someone who isn't actually part of Israel at all. And then you discover that the word for dog isn't the word for wild dogs. It's a word that means a pet dog. So Jesus isn't talking about wild, wild dogs at all in this little bit of banter between him and the woman. And then you discover that the woman is a, is a Gentile. What's a Gentile? Well, this is someone who's non-Israel. This is someone who doesn't belong to the 12 tribes of Israel. She's an outsider. What's an outsider? How does it feel to be an outsider? And then you move on to the second story and you ask, why did Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears? And why did he, what, what was all that about? And you, you, you start to study and you realize, well, the man was deaf. So he put his fingers in the man's ears as a kind of sign language. He was telling the man he was going to do something for his ears. You think, isn't that lovely? This man couldn't hear. The Lord Jesus couldn't say to the man, I'm going to heal you. But he touched his ears. And you realize that's a, that was his way of showing the man what he was going to do. And then he also touched the man's tongue. Isn't that a lovely thought too, that the Lord connected with the man? And then you think that he spoke in Aramaic to the man. And some people have thought he turned and faced the man and said, Ephrathah. And the man could probably lip read in Aramaic. He wouldn't have been able to lip read in, in, in Latin or in Greek, but Aramaic was his, his everyday language. And he would understand, be opened. And then, of course, the miracle came. So now a bit of study has put a context in this. The woman wasn't being called a, a, a wild dog. She was talking about, talking about pets and the pet under the table getting the crumbs. And this woman who's not part of Israel was prepared to say, yeah, I get you. I'm one of those pets. I'm under the table. Give me the crumbs, please, Lord. And you suddenly realize what a, what a, what a, what a way this story begins to unfold when you start to study it and realize what is being got at. And then you enjoy it. You enjoy it just for its own sake. Just for the, the, the Lord going out of his way to, to, to heal these two individuals. This woman, this heartbroken mother with this daughter who was seriously ill and who had no shame in keeping on at Jesus to heal her daughter. That's what mothers do for their children. And that's what Jesus does for his children and the Lord Jesus healed the, 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 the daughter and the woman went home full of praise or the profoundly deaf man who wasn't really part of his society because everything went on over his head and he couldn't really be part of it by the time he'd realized something was happening it had gone and he was isolated and the Lord Jesus comes and he touches his life and turns his life around and then you realize the lovely bit that it ends with, that the people saying, this man has, this, um, this, he, how, this man has done everything well. 
and what a tremendous, tremendous thought to be able to enjoy. So that's just a, a, a tiny little bit of what a read, think, study, enjoy might look like if you're reading Mark, the tail end of Mark chapter 7. Now apply that same thing with whatever your readings are at the moment. Read, think, study, enjoy. It's absolutely vital that we read the Word of God. I may be talking to somebody who's a lapsed reader. If you are, get back to it. I may be talking to somebody who's been reading the Bible for the last 40 or 50 years. Well done. Keep it up. Think about what you've read. Read it at some point, but think, chew it over. Let it, let it link in to get that connection with the writer, the connection with Almighty God. And then when you get a moment or two, go and have a, have a look at a commentary. To, to, especially if there's a bit that doesn't make sense. Why on earth would the Lord Jesus call this woman a wild dog? And then you discover he didn't. He called her a pet dog. Well, what does that mean? And of course you begin to realize that all of a sudden it all falls into place. And then enjoy. That's got to be the bottom line. After you've read, it's got to be to enjoy it. Our Bibles are the word of God. Our Bibles are God's message to us. We really must enjoy them. And when we do, we'll find the hidden treasure that is there for us. May God bless his word to us.